There we go. Good morning. It's good to see you all this morning. I'm glad that you can be out to be part of the service to worship God with us. Just to be able to study His Word together and to continue on where John left off last week as we continue this United series together. Today's topic is going to be one of being united in doctrine. And doctrine is very important when it comes to religion and what we believe and why we do the things that we do. Why do we teach the way that we teach and follow the principles and the, doct- and the doctrine of Christ that we follow? Not because anything that we have made that we've invented ourselves, but because whenever we open up the scriptures and we begin to read the scriptures, this is what we find. And according to those, we try to do our best to live by those standards, those principles that God has laid out for us uh, to follow. But what does it mean to be united in doctrine? Whenever I first began putting the sermon together, I had this different vision in my head of how I wanted to take this. Because united in doctrine, how I was carrying it was bringing us all together, being united together by that single doctrine through faith, through belief, through baptism, being united together in that family based off of that doctrine. But it goes deeper than that. Why do we believe what we believe? It's important that we have that common belief that we follow those same principles. As John talked about last week, about how people go to these Bible colleges and they graduate with these degrees and one goes to this church to teach and one goes to a different church to teach and they teach two different things. And why is that? Could they not come to the same understanding? Is the scriptures really that hard to understand? No. God didn't make it so hard that anyone uh, couldn't understand it. But whenever we talk about being united in doctrine, we're united in a common belief. We're here this morning because we believe this way. We're united by a particular doctrine that we find throughout the scripture. It's not our doctrine. We didn't make this doctrine up. When you study the history of the church and you begin looking uh, through what would be the dark ages of time, and you had this reformation movement, the reformation movement, where they took what they knew through the Catholic Church, Catholicism, and they said, we're going to try to reform this, and we're going to try to reform it again, and we're going to try, and you had all these different branches that began breaking off that looks exactly like the Catholic Church today. That was through the reformation movement. But then, as time went on, you had a group of people that said, let's get rid of what we have learned in the past, and let's look at only what the Scriptures say. What does God want us to do? 
And then that became the restoration movement. We're going to restore New Testament Christianity. And that doctrine then that we find that we follow today is what we find here in the scriptures and not what we have heard someone else was doing back in the past, but what we have seen from the scriptures. And while we teach salvation the way we teach it, or who hung on the cross for us, or whatever various doctrines that you can put out there, we find it in the scriptures. We can't add to it and take away from it. Several times whenever I've had talks with people from other churches, preachers from other churches, and they're more of that restorative Christianity type, and I say, well, you believe that we should do things the way the Bible tells us to do them, that we shouldn't add to it, we shouldn't take away from it, that we should follow uh, the scriptures, that we should talk where the Bible talks, that we should keep silent where the Bible's silent, and that's what y'all go around and y'all teach and y'all emphasize this. And I said, but why do you do this then? Because it's not in the scriptures. And there's so, and without saying what it is that they were doing, because it's not for this topic, well, that's how we've always done it. Why? So we're following tradition then rather than doctrine. It unites us together in a single purpose and a single cause. I really thought I had that bigger. 36 just isn't as big as I thought it was. But we're united together in that single purpose. And so whenever we go forth from this assembly today and we go out, we meet our neighbors or our friends and we begin to sit down and talk to them and study with them, then whenever we open up the scriptures with them, we're telling them what God says and not what we say. As a young boy, I was told something very different than what the scriptures teach. As a young boy, I was taught that belief was all that we needed to do in order to be saved, and I believe that because someone of authority told me that. They said, you just believe in God, you're good. God has you, you know. Oh, okay, well, I believe in God, so I'm good. And I just went about living my life the way I thought that I should. It didn't matter because I believed in God. But is that what the scriptures bore out? No. It wasn't until much later in life that I finally realized that, opening up the scriptures and studying it together. And it brings us to salvation when we follow that plan that God has set forth for us, not what we've set forth for ourselves, not what someone else has set forth, but what God has brought forth for us to learn and to know. And that unites us with God. It gives us the Holy Spirit, and it brings us salvation and forgiveness of sins. As John had mentioned about the different churches, we hear this common teaching out in the religious world that there's many different roads, that that church is on that road, that this church is on that road, and that one's on this road, but we're all going to end up at the same place, and the scriptures just don't bear that out. The scriptures teach us that, there are, that there's only one way to heaven. There's various doctrines taught at various churches throughout, not just here in Pampa, here in the country, but throughout the world. Ian just got back from India, who's this massive land of idols. 
he was going through all these idol pictures. They, they went to this temple and to that temple, and you have all these different gods that they worship. The monkey king apparently is the popular one right now. They follow that one. And they got all these giant statues resurrected or, or put up, should I say, not resurrected, but put up in observance of these gods, these deities that they follow. All these various doctrines throughout the world, there's not all these different roads that's going to lead us to the same place. There's only one, and the scriptures bear that out for us. They can't all be right. Jesus said in John 14, verse number 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father except through me. It was only through Jesus Christ, through his sacrifice, that we could go to heaven. And that's why we're here today in observance of that, in memory of what he did for us, because it was only through him and his sacrifice and the blood that he shed on the cross for us that even made it possible for us to make it to heaven. There was only one way. And we're, this is a black and white issue. It's cut and dry. There's not many different ways. And it's that way because it's not of our own interpretation. This is what the scriptures bear out for us. Jesus said in John chapter 6, verse number 63, it is the spirit who gives life. The flesh profits nothing. The words that I speak to you, they are spirit and they are life. Jesus came down and he spoke these words. He spoke life. It wasn't the words that we have that we made up that we just come about through. The words that Jesus spoke gave life. But he was told what to speak. John 12 and 49, he says, For I have not spoken of my own authority, but the Father who sent me, he gave me a command what I should speak and what, or what I should say and what I should speak. You know, just before that verse, Jesus said, He that hears not me and does not believe the things that I say has one that judge him, the words that I have spoken. The same will judge him in that last day. And he says, because I haven't spoken of my own authority. It wasn't Jesus' authority. God gave him, this is what I want you to do. This is how we redeem man. This is what you should say. This is what you should do. This is what you should tell your disciples. Those words were given down to Jesus through his father. And it's not ours to add to. It's not ours to take away from. And we see countless times throughout the scriptures where the Bible bears that out, that we can't add to his doctrine. We can't take away from his word. For I testify, he says in Revelation twenty-two eighteen, to everyone who hears the words of the prophecy of this book, if anyone adds to these things, God will add to him the plagues that are written in the book. And if anyone takes away from the words of the book of this prophecy, God shall take away his part from the book of life, from the holy city, and from the things which are written in this book. Now, I've, I've used that before in, in talking to people. And they're like, oh, no, well, it's just in Revelation. He's only talking about the book of Revelation. But that's not true. It's talking about it in Proverbs. It's talking about it in Genesis. Don't add to my word. Don't take away from my word. God was consistent 
from the very beginning of what I said, this is what I expect. Don't add to it. Don't take away from it. And he goes from the very first book to the very last book with that same message. Don't add to my words. Don't put words in my mouth. Don't take away from my word. It's not our doctrine. And if we go, therefore, and we take the simple plan of salvation, which is written in the scriptures, and we add something to it, or we take away anything from it, can we thus be saved? No. That's why Paul told Timothy in 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse number 16, to take heed to yourself and unto the doctrine. For in doing this, you will save yourself and those that hear you. Doctrine is vitally important to us as Christians. It's important that we're united in that, that we understand that there's no other doctrine given that will save man. There's no other doctrine given with authority like that of the Scriptures. And Paul over and over again, warned of holding on to that doctrine. If an angel from heaven, he said, came and bore any other thing to you than what we have told you or what we have preached, let that angel or that person be accursed. There's no other doctrine given under heaven whereby we can be saved. There's no other name given under heaven. That's the doctrine of Christ. Take heed to yourself and this morning as we're considering all the various doctrines out there it's, it's really time for us to take heed to ourselves and to the doctrine what we believe what we hold to is it bore out here in the scriptures or is it something that my belief came from my parents you know that whole believe and you're okay is it something that your parents taught you a long time ago or is it something that you have seen from God's holy scripture? You know, I have a simple test whenever I sit down and I talk to people. And I haven't done it in a while, but <clears throat> the simple test is we either take a, a single blank piece of paper, we put God on this side, we put mom dad preacher whoever on that side and you just draw a line in the middle and you just simply bear it out here's what god says put it on that side here's what your preacher says put it or here's what your mom says or whoever and it's very very simple to do and it really opens up the eyes of those who are really seeing it for the first time of wait a second god said something completely different than what my preacher said or God said something different than what my mom said or my dad said but we have a lot of that going on in the world you want to know why there's so many churches in the world well it's because of so many people have taken what their preacher said or what their mom said or whoever tradition said rather than just simply saying what did God say because if we had more people looking and being concerned about what God says in his word, then we would have a lot less churches in the world. We would have more unity and less division. The great commission Jesus gave to his disciples, 
Matthew chapter 28, verse 19, where he told his disciples to go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you, and lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the age. Amen. Go forth and baptize all nations. Teach them to observe all things that I have commanded, he said. You know, there was a lot that he had told them, but it wasn't anything so complicated that people couldn't figure it out. What he had said. <clears throat> the simple plan of salvation. And for time's sake, we won't go to all of them, but for your references, I've put them up here. To hear the word of God. Well, that's pretty obviously, right? Because you can't believe in someone in whom you've not heard. And as the scriptures tell us, how can they believe in someone in whom they not heard? And how can they hear unless someone preaches? Hearing is the first step to come into salvation. To hear the word of God preached. To study that. To believe it then belief is essential to salvation just like hearing is essential to salvation do you believe in jesus christ this morning yes yeah. well that's good you have to believe in jesus christ if you want to be saved but is belief the only thing that you need to do in order to be saved there's several churches who preach that belief is all you need to do. You believe in Jesus Christ and accept him into your heart and you'll be saved. I've heard that a dozen, more than a dozen times. You hear it on TV all the time. You see it in Facebook posts from other people. You see and hear it from your coworkers and from your friends. But is that right? I heard it from my mom. I heard it from my friends before too. Is that right? No. That's not what the scriptures bear out. Mark 16, 16, Jesus said, He that hears, believes, and is baptized shall be saved. He that believeth not shall be damned. It's essential to salvation. Jesus said, If you believe not that I am he, you will die in your sins. Belief is essential. You have to believe that Jesus is the Son of God. Without that belief, then your religion is vain. Repentance. Repent of your sins. That seems very obvious, right? Whenever John the baptizer was out baptizing and he saw the Sadducees and the Pharisees and the other religious people as they're coming to his baptism and they're seeing what John is doing. John looked at them and he said, Generation of vipers, who has warned you to flee from the wrath that's to come? You know what he told them? You need to repent. You need to bring forth fruits worthy of repentance. Repentance is something that is absolutely essential to salvation. What happens if you do hear the word of God and you believe the word of God and you don't repent? 
you just continue living in sin, but you get baptized. Are you saved? Where was that change? You see this doctrine that we talk about from the scriptures brings forth a change, not just to your mind, but to your heart. That you no longer want to walk how you used to walk. That you no longer live the same lifestyle that you used to live. And as Paul would say in Romans 6, what shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? God forbid. How shall we that are dead to sin live any longer therein? That's the repentance that it takes in that step of salvation. You have to repent. Matthew 28, uh, being baptized, of course, we saw Matthew 28, where he had told them in the Great Commission to go forth and to baptize all nations, teaching them to observe all things that he had commanded. Mark 16, again, in the Great Commission, where he had told them to repent and to be baptized. Acts chapter 2, verse 38, the very first gospel sermon preached where Peter started out in his sermon to these people by saying, men of Israel, hear these words. You have to hear it, right? Jesus Christ, a man approved to God among you by miracles and wonders and signs which God did through him in the midst of you and which ye yourselves also know. And he began to preach Jesus Christ, whom they had just crucified. And you know what happened? He told them, hear these words, so they heard it. And it says, then they that gladly received his words, they believed it. Not all of them, but those that gladly received his word, believed it, they were baptized. You know what they did? They didn't go forth from there continuing the same lifestyle that they had led before they had been baptized they repented they went on their way rejoicing you know what they did they took that very same message that they had just received and they took it to their friends and to their family and the gospel spread throughout the land because of that we got to continue in our faith we have to continue to walk worthy of what we've been called. Paul would tell that to Timothy and he would tell that to uh, the various churches that he would go to to continue uh, growing and walking and living in that lifestyle, not turning back to that old man of sin, but continuing walking. You see, salvation is a black and white issue. There's nothing that we can do to add to or to take away from it because God's plan is perfect for his word and what he expects us to do and what he expects us to live by. God's standard is different than our standard. God's ways are higher than our ways. There's nothing that we can do that God hasn't already perfected. We cannot exclude any of those steps of salvation Jesus told his disciples what to go teach in order for men to have salvation. And they did that. The same thing that we have to teach people of if you want salvation in Christ, 
This is how you get it, and you can't exclude those steps. It's not something that we've made up for ourselves. It's not our own doctrine. It belongs to the Lord. We are simply doing what God said in his word to do. 1 Corinthians 14, verse 26. What about the church assembly? You know, there's things about the church assembly that's black and white. We're not talking about how many songs that we lead before the service or if we do the communion first and then the sermon last or if we do the sermon first and the communion last. That's not the black and white issue. But when we start talking about the assembly of the church, there's black and white issues. How the church is to be run, how it's organized, who can teach. How is it then, brethren, when you come together, he says, each of you has a psalm, has a teaching, has a tongue, has a revelation, has an interpretation. Let all things be done for edification. The songs that we sing, we sing for edification purposes. The teachings that we teach, we do for edification. What happens if we have more than one speaker? You know, that's that's not something that maybe we're as common to. I mean, we do got various speakers you can see on our board here, but it's not what I'm talking about exactly. You have various speakers from time to time, much like you would see from going to India with uh, the brethren that go to India or Nigeria or those places. You would have one person talking and... You could have another person talking. You would have one person talking in this English language to these people who don't speak English. You would have one person interpreting. Well, how do we do that? It would pay them no benefit if Ian or Sean or whoever goes to India and preaches to these people who don't speak English and there's no one to interpret. It would benefit Ian no good. It would benefit them no good church is set up and the assembly is set up the way that it's set to be and it's a black and white issue that we have to follow what if there's more than two or three speakers he would say let them keep silent especially if someone comes in speaking a different language and there's no one to interpret they are to be in silent what about women teaching The Bible is very clear on this. We have a couple of places in Scripture, 1 Corinthians 14, 34, 35, 1 Timothy 2, 11, and 12. Those are the only two places that we have regulations for women teaching. Does it apply to the assembly or does it apply outside the the assembly and things like that? If anyone thinks himself to be a prophet or a spiritual, let him acknowledge the things that I say or the things that I write to you are the commandments of the Lord. And that is the key part of why church is assembled the way church is assembled. Why do we do things the way we do? Why do we allow this person to teach and not that person and so forth like that? Well, we find it from 1 Corinthians 14 as it regulates the assembly of the church. And it's a black and white issue. It's not my commandment. It's not what Monty decided. It's not what Nathan or Ian or anyone else or whoever before them. But it was the commandments of the Lord. We talk about salvation. How are we saved? Well, it was the commandments of the Lord. This is what you should do. How do we run the church? Well, this is what is expected. 
Let all things be done decently and in order. What about morality? Morality. How do we determine what's right and wrong? Well, you have two different standards of morality. You have the world standard of morality, and you have what the scriptures say about morality. But it's a black and white issue. And I want you to know that without God, there is no standard of morality. And that's true. In Judges 21, 15, uh, 25, he says, In those days there was no king in Israel. Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. Think about the standard of morality for a second. And it's something not necessarily that I want to jump head first into because we're winding down the scriptures here. But what standard of morality do you follow? What's right? What's wrong? What's true? What's false? Without God, there's no set standard. It's not in the ways of man to direct his own footsteps. It's, it is not in man who walks to direct his own steps. It's the Lord who directs our steps. In 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 9, he laid out a whole list of things that he said, these won't make it to heaven. And he lists out all these unrighteous things that won't inherit the kingdom of God. I had, a, I had that debate with that one preacher that one time, and he said, there's not one sin. There's not one sin that can keep you from heaven. You can't name a sin, can you? And I was like, well, no. Paul can. <laughs> Here, look at what he said. Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, nor neither fornicators, idolaters, adulterers, nor homosexuals, nor idolaters, nor sodomites, or thieves, or covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners will inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you, but you were washed, but you were sanctified, but you were justified in the name of the Lord. Jesus and by the Spirit of God. Now, I think that last part is particularly interesting because such were some of you. Some of you used to be these things, but you're not any longer. There was them hearing the Word of God. There was them uh, believing the Word of God, repenting of their sins, being baptized, being washed or justified in the name of the Lord, sanctified. What standard the world lives by is a completely different standard than what God has told us to live by. And we're unified in that. We understand that to be true. We can see it. Now the works of the flesh, he said, are evident, which are adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lewdness, idolatry, sorcery, hated... Hatred, contentions, jealousies, outbursts of wrath, selfish amb ambitions, dissensions, heresies, envy, murder, drunkenness, revelries, and the like of which I told you beforehand as I have told you in times past that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Now, that's not me talking and saying, oh, you're a... You're a drunkard? Well, I'm sorry. 
or you're a fornicator or idolater or you practice witchcraft or you do this or you do that. It's not me saying you won't make it to heaven. It's the word of God. He's very plain. As long as you practice these sinful acts, you will by no means enter the kingdom of heaven. And that's black and white doctrine. So in conclusion, God has set the standard in his word. It's not my standard. I didn't set it. Or the elders here, it's not their standard. They didn't set it. God's word is what set the standard for how we are to live, to how we are to conduct our business in our personal lives, at the church. His word says what we are to do. His word tells us how we are to have salvation from the way that we're saved, the organization of the church, the standard of morality that we follow, that we hold ourselves to, comes from the scriptures, not from the world. It's important that we're united together in this doctrine, that we have that common belief because it binds us together. It brings unity It unites us, not just with one another, though. It unites us with God. We're part of that family. No more children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine, but we're united together because of that doctrine. And so the lesson is yours this morning. I hope that something that's been said and taught this morning will have been uplifting to you maybe or beneficial to you in some manner but we never like to close the service without extending an invitation maybe there's someone here who's never heard the gospel preach who's never believed that Jesus Christ is the son of God that he's the only way to heaven have never repented of their sins or have never had their sins washed away in baptism We stand here ready to assist you and to help you in any manner that we can. The invitation is yours. We invite you to come while we sing the song selected.